0: Brothers and sisters, good evening. Today, we celebrate the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. Earlier this week, we had an apologetics night over at St. Mary's campus that was entirely centered around the Blessed Virgin Mary, and the different things that we as Catholics have come to know and believe about her. One of those things is the Immaculate Conception. So allow me to rehash a little bit The Immaculate Conception is the teaching in the church that Mary was conceived without sin. It's not to be confused with Christ's conception, also without sin, different thing. The Immaculate Conception is Mary's sinlessness celebrated here in the church, that from the moment she first existed, Mary had no sin. She did not inherit the same stain, the same suffering, The same concupiscence, proneness to sin, weakness, and darkness of intellect that you and I have. Instead, she was preserved, and preserved by the grace of Christ's passion that God already foresaw. And so all people came to be saved through him. As I said, this is a gift that God has given, and when we consider this gift in the modern world it seems as if some people are a little uncomfortable with it. Non-Catholics, certainly. But even some Catholics are a bit uncomfortable with the idea of the Immaculate Conception. There are a couple different avenues people will take, different uh, paths of reason that they'll, they'll use to express some frustration or confusion. Some might say, do we really need this teaching? Doesn't it just add a whole other layer? Doesn't it just make things a bit more complicated? Isn't it making salvation more complex when it could be more simple? Is the Immaculate Conception strictly necessary? And they're doing this, they're trying to add up all of the different theological pieces in their mind. They're doing the long division. They're doing it all by hand. They're trying to figure out God's grace, preserved from sin, Jesus, Mary, me, And somehow that feeling of sum or summation doesn't add up. There's a bit of frustration there. For those who are a little bit more mathematically or theologically minded, allow me to clarify that this gets the method wrong. God's salvific action in the world is not a math problem. Sorry, it's poetry. It's a piece of art. It's a brush stroke, not a summation. It rhymes and fits with every other piece of creation, every other soul, so that all of us together can benefit from this one grace. Which leads me to the second line of reasoning that sometimes people will take in their frustration or confusion. It's usually not stated. It's usually something... People are embarrassed to ask out loud, but it is asked in the heart. If Mary was conceived without sin, why wasn't I? What about me? Why didn't God give me that grace? If he can just give it, why didn't he give it to me? Again, I want to propose that this gets the method wrong. I told the Mass at 1215 earlier today, God's not Oprah. She's not saying, everyone gets a car, you get a car, you get a car, you get a... Not God's method. God doesn't get everything to everyone, at least not at first. Instead, he looks out and says, well, you'll get a car, and uh, you in the back, You'll get a car, and uh, and yes, you you can have a car. And then he asks everyone else to ride share. He gives a grace, a gift to one, so that everyone else may benefit by that one getting the gift. In more ancient days, medieval theology, we would have called this election. Some people are elected. graces that God has to give. We might say that they're chosen or that they're called. Whenever we look at the grace of another, and we look with jealousy in our hearts and say, but I wanted that gift, we're buying in to the original ploy of the evil one from the beginning. We heard an allusion to that story in the first reading today, where Adam and Eve looked at the goodness God had, and they wanted it for themselves. They saw the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and Satan said, you could have that. This could be yours. If you just reach out and take it, then you will be like God. We, Catholics, know a little bit better than that, don't we? We see how the math doesn't add up yet again. Satan's promise was, You can be like God. Why is that a problem? They were already like God. They were made in God's image and likeness. We've heard it again and again in the story of Genesis. And so Satan was selling them something they already had. He was selling them their own car, their own house, and they bought it hook line, and sinker. Through that little bit of jealousy, that looking out and wanting something that somebody else had, they ended up corrupting themselves. We, my friends, are not immune to this ploy. When we ask the question, why am I not chosen, elect, called? Well, we're buying into the same lie told by the same liar. We are chosen. You are chosen. As St. John Henry Newman reminds us, God has created each of us to do him some definite service. He's committed some work to you which he has not committed to another. You have your mission. You, you are a link in a chain, a bond of connection between persons. He has not created you for naught. Whatever, wherever you are, you cannot be thrown away. Each person receives a calling, a vocation. Each person receives grace that accompanies that calling. And this is the best part. As I alluded to earlier, when God gives grace to one, he gives it for all. You can see the same pattern throughout all of Scripture, Here's a question. Why was Israel chosen? Why were they so special? God didn't choose Egypt, did he? Didn't choose the Assyrians or the Babylonians. He didn't choose the Greeks, even though they were so wise. He didn't choose the Irish, at least not yet. He didn't choose the Aztecs. Why did God choose Israel? What was their calling? Their calling, according to Genesis chapter 22, was to be a blessing for every other nation. So that by choosing one nation, every nation would be blessed. This is God's method. He does it again and again. He calls some people to holy orders or religious life. What makes them so special? Why does he choose some people for those vocations? He chooses them So that everyone can be blessed. Why are some people called to be mothers and fathers? So that graces can abound for everyone. Every time God gives someone a call, he does it for the sake of all of humanity. Some grace is given to one so that it can be passed on and multiplied for all. This is why, by the way, It hurts so much when the one chosen does not pass on the grace, but instead hoards it for him or herself. It's why bad priests and bad nuns and bad spouses and bad parents hurt us so personally. Because they were made to be a gift for us. And when they're bad, we're left longing for what we ought to have received. This started a long time ago in a story I've already mentioned. Obviously, in creating life, God gave grace to Adam and Eve. He made them sinless in relationship with himself. But remember the principle. Remember God's method. When he gives grace to one, he gives it for all. Adam and Eve were supposed to beget blessings. Blessing that could be passed on from one generation to another, to another, all the way down to you. They were supposed to pass on blessing. But when they hoarded the grace and goodness for themselves, when they chose themselves over others, it hurt. It hurts currently. Since that moment, our race has not been characterized by blessing. It's been characterized by brokenness perhaps you experience this through physical hurts or emotional wounds mental scarring or spiritual ailments it doesn't matter which is most prevalent in your life you know that brokenness you know the consequences of the fall eve refused the gift that was offered to her and though her husband called her mother of all the living she was more properly called Mother of all those doomed to die, praise be to God then that he didn't become stingy when the first people hoarded it for themselves once more. His eyes alighted on a woman, his creation, and he chose her, he elected her, he called her. praise be to God that she received the gift of sinlessness because when he gave that gift of sinlessness to Mary, he gave it for all of us. He gave it for you. Praise be to God then that that grace was received and passed on. St. Bernard of Clairvaux speaks of that moment that we heard about in the Gospel today as a moment where heaven trembled, where angels went silent, where all created eyes turned and looked specifically at Mary. When the angel Gabriel said, Hail, full of grace, you will conceive and bear a son. She could have said no. She could have rejected it. She could have kept all that grace just for herself, as indeed her parents and her first parents had done. Creation waited with bated breath to hear her response. And she said, let it be done to me according to your word. She said, yes, she received the grace and everything that came along with it. And she passed that grace on by receiving a participation in her son's own suffering. This was not an easy burden to carry. As one priest wrote, The mother of God was an immaculate conception in a sin-filled world. Those whom she loved suffered from the effects of original sin, and her exemption would not have made her cold and aloof, as we sometimes think holy people are. You know that caricaturization? If someone's holy, then they're not really interested in real life. They're just sitting in the back of the church with their hands folded, perfect 90-degree angles, their heads slightly tilted, a, a little bit of a cock and cheeks sucked in to show that they're fasting? This is holiness, yes? No? Maybe not. Maybe that's just me. Anyways, hi. Uh, no, this is not true holiness. True holiness responds to reality in kind. Mary was not aloof and show-offish. Instead, her sinlessness would have quickened her to life with a deep compassion that would have broken her heart in places and ways that yours doesn't even know it can be broken. She would have been to this world a sign of contradiction, a stranger, someone who would have always been on the peripheries, deeply in love but beset with the grief at how much God's love is refused in a fallen world. Whatever we feel, that the effects of the world's refusal to love would have been intensified for Christ's mother. She would know better than us humanity's desperate need for a Savior, and the consequences of our refusals of God would have been overwhelming if not for the grace that she received in her relationship with her divine Son. But she did receive that grace, that gift. God created her to do some definite service. He committed some work to her which he had not committed to another. She has her mission. She is a link in a chain, a bond of connection between persons and ages. Each person, each person receives a calling, a vocation. Each person receives grace, and when God gives grace to one, he gives it for all. When God chooses one, he chooses one for all. And I do mean all. Through the graces of the cross, Mary was preserved from sin and allowed to finally give the gift we were all meant to receive from the beginning. Emmanuel. God with us. Unbounded relationship with God. No need to envy her, to compare and despair, She was chosen for you. In exchange for the much that she has been given, much is expected. After all, the Virgin Mary is given to the world for all of us because she's given to the world for the sake of Jesus' own mission, a cooperator in the salvation of the world. And that mission is ongoing. So today, on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, Look to Mary and her model, but also keep your ears open and wait for the moment when you might receive your call. If God chooses you, elects you, calls you to that definite service for which you're made, don't hoard it all to yourself. He's going to give you a grace so that you can provide blessing for everyone else And just like Mary, you will become a cooperator in the salvation of the world. A very mighty call indeed, and something for which you've been made. Look to Mary and to her vocation. Follow in her footsteps and receive the graces prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Amen.